Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to uh, a very special Olympic episode of the podcast. My name is Matt Walsh, uh, Jake Michaels. I don't know why I said it's a very special Olympic episode actually. I have that written down in front of me, but we're not talking about the Olympics. We are talking about footy. Uh, it's just in amongst the Olympics, which is kind of bizarre. We only have that every what four years or so, but um, have you been able to keep your eye on, on both things at once? How many screens have you had going uh, the last uh, week or so? Uh, just my TV. I'm I'm managing to flick between the channels. I'm not. You're, you're um, not a big tech guy, are you? No, it's too hard. I just <laughs> have one TV. I know what's on, and I can change. I do like the fact that you can watch any sport you want to watch, and it's not just whatever Channel Seven's throwing up. But uh, yes, as you said, we're not talking about the Olympics. We're talking about footy, and these weeks are going quick. It feels like we're doing this every second day. The podcast. Yeah. Are you enjoying that, or are you not? Ah. Uh, I am, but I, I don't mind a day off. <laughs> uh, Ron Connolly, you, have you been watching much of the Olympics uh, over the last few weeks or have you been uh, fully footy focused? Uh, I, I have actually. I uh, don't want to sound unpatriotic. I've watched a bit of a soccer, but like if you're on Twitter a lot, which I am, um, you sort of you, you absorb it all by osmosis anyway. So I'm sort of up on what's going on without having actually watched it if that yeah, makes sense you kind of get the highlight videos creeping in and all the reaction yeah, gifts of yeah, Ariane yeah, Titmus's win and stuff like that I agree with Jake though the um you know it, gee round 20s come around very quickly it, very it much really, the home stretch very yeah. much the home stretch um Christian Jolly uh, you've been keeping a close eye on all proceedings uh how does your Olympic viewing go do you watch it live do you watch it on Twitter do you watch it in replays or do you just not bother at all no well it's been hard but um yeah, with the with the two kids actually starting to get into it a bit, and um, what Jake mentioned earlier, you can just pick any sport. So yeah, yesterday uh, had about a half an hour break with my son, and just said, "Oh well, go pick any any sport you want." So we watched about twenty minutes of surfing and five minutes of shooting, and then some sword fighting, according to him. But yeah, fencing. <laughs> fencing. No, it, it's, I think that's awesome that you can sort of as a kid. That's what I wanted to see. I didn't always want to watch just swimming all night when you knew there was some boxing or something else going on. Um, but yeah, the app's great and. Yeah, not a, not a lot live over the weekend, obviously, but trying to sneak a little bit hit in here, here and there. Mm. I've got to say, I was a bit apathetic about the whole Olympics thing in the lead up, and then as soon as it hits and you see the like Paddy Mills and Kate Campbell come out with the flag, I was all invested. So I haven't had much sleep, I've got to say, over the last uh, week or so. Uh, but before we do jump into another big episode of Talking Footy, I'll just clarify that again. Uh, something quirky or something unusual from the weekend that grabbed your attention that we might otherwise miss, Jake? Well, I'm going back to Friday night. Um, the Port Collingwood game and there was a player that really caught my eye and I know it's it's someone that Christian's spoken about a couple of times on this podcast and probably someone I'd never probably never thought was that great of a player despite being young but Willem Drew is he's turning into he's turning himself into a phenomenal player Willem 22 Hope. Sorry, that's a that's a dad joke Jake it's a little old uh, cigars we Willem we Willem too sorry uh I'll ask my dad. <laughs> um, no, but he was fantastic. And he has been, cons- he's been so, such a consistent player, but just probably not getting that credit behind Wines and Boke and some of the more experienced names in there. But as far as a contested ball winner goes, clearance clearance player, a guy that's in at every set, just about every center bounce for Port um, and still su- such a young player at 22. Uh, he's, he's got potential to become a real top liner for the power. Yeah, Jonathan, yep. Jonathan Brown's a fan. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of reminds me of if you have a roast dinner in front of you, there's 
the obviously the roast meat that you love so much and then there's some roast vegetables uh the gravy that goes on top but he's probably the peas a crucial part of that midfield mix but probably doesn't get where you're going with it <laughs> can you tell i'm hungry uh rowan something from the weekend that uh, grabbed your attention uh well this has been a weird opening so i'm, I'm gonna continue <laughs> that theme uh weird commentary I know we talk about commentary a lot, but it was... Something you notice from every round. <laughs> well, Saturday particularly, it was off the charts. Had Eddie Maguire inventing a new Mackay brother, Sam. Um, so he calls he calls Ben Sam and then um, someone corrects him and he goes, oh, yeah, sorry, I got the wrong brother. No, mate, he's no brother. He might be their cousin or something. And then that, That's like that, Jared Ely calling Jack McRae Craig McRae the other way. <laughs> And then that was topped for weirdness on Saturday night by, on Saturday stretch, uh, Dermot Burton and Dwayne Russell giving a wrap-up of Adelaide Hawthorne. And they showed the, the video grab of Chad Wingard having a go at Jacob Kaczynski. And Dermy's turned it into this sort of two-minute stand-up routine about ordering a pizza and ordering the wrong variety of pizza. And then they just threw back to the studio. So you were... You were a whole lot wiser about Caprichosas and Hawaiians, but you knew nothing about what actually happened in the game. It was just bizarre. <laughs> yeah, bounce areas, I think, from Saturday stretch. Um, good old Derm. Maybe not a, a career in comedy in his future, that's for sure. Uh, Christian, something from the weekend. Uh, well, two quick ones. Uh, I like, I've always found it interesting that when there's a ruckman that goes up unopposed in the ruck, how confused they seem to look whether <laughs> they should grab it, tap it straight down, and go for the big smash. Uh, so about three or four ruckmen just grab it and handball it as far as they could uh, forward of the stoppage. And I like that. I think three or four times it just worked for him. I thought let's just, I think uh, Oscar McInerney did it a couple of times um, against Gold Coast, I think it was. But uh, it sort of started the trend. But yeah, just something I, I little takeaway from the weekend. I sort of, I like that because I've, I've always found it the most confusing part of the game when ruckmen know they're going up alone and you can just see it in their eyes. They've got about six options. They don't know which one to pick. Uh, and another one, Braden Fiorini, 41 touches for Gold Coast. He's just a, he is just a ball magnet. He's got a little bit of Jared Lyons about him. He's probably not the prettiest player, but every game he plays or, you know, whenever he gets some minutes because he's been sub a few times, he just finds the ball. So I just did a little bit of a comparison this year to him and Jack McRae per 100 minutes game time. And Fiorini's 31 disposals per 100 minutes, McRae 33 Uncontested possessions. McRae's got him by 0.9 per game. Fiorini, two more marks per game, one fewer clearance uh, and one and a half more tackles. So, again, just uh, if I was maybe an opposing club, I'd be uh, talking to Braden Fiorini and just seeing because he wasn't in the team to begin with. Yeah, well, the Jared Lyons comp is is a really good one, I think, because why isn't he playing every week? Alex Sexton, he's another one. that There's something wrong with these guys. Yeah, his first game for the year was, yeah, round 14, and I don't think he had an injury before then either, Fiorini, so... Weird. Interesting. Um, something I noticed, and I actually only noticed this yesterday. Someone on, on Reddit, I think, pointed it out, and I went through and, and did some fact-checking, and I was like, wow, that's true. So the Brisbane Lions won't play a game at the MCG in the regular in the home-and-away season this year for the first time in the Brisbane Lions' history, um, just by virtue of the way that uh, fixturing and having the floating fixture and having to be dynamic and uh and being able to pivot on a dime uh it just means that they they've not they will not have played at the mcg and depending on where they finish on the ladder and how their finals campaign goes may not play there until possibly the grand final and if the grand final's not in victoria they might not play there at all um so you just kind of think that must be pretty rare or would never have happened in the history of the game if it were to pan out that way yeah um 
I don't know. I'm just sort of, oh, no, I think you're probably right. I'm thinking one of Adelaide's years, did they play at the MCG before they won? But, I mean, but even, white... even if, but if, the, if the MCG is not used for the grand final this year and things go the way that, that let's go a certain way for Brisbane and say it ends up being in Perth, to have not played a game at the MCG for the entire year, yeah, it'd be the first time a club would have done that. I would hazard a guess. Yeah, well, considering it's been, a, it's been a few firsts uh, thanks to the <laughs> pandemic, hasn't it? Sure. Anyway, uh, I saw that on on Reddit and did some further research, and I thought that was quite interesting. Um, all right, let's get into things, Jake. Uh, you put a lot of work into a yarn that we've got currently on the website about Lance Franklin and his chase for a thousand goals. Uh, but it's kind of come undone and, and unraveled in front of you, unfortunately, because he's been given a one game suspension for an Every time elbow. I work on something, something happens. We did this big piece on Matt Rowell at the start of the year injury. It's just, I, I give up. I'm not doing any more work. <laughs> uh, uh, well, look, uh, we've only got a, a couple of months left in the season. Well, for in footy season anyway, so we'll, we'll get there soon. But in terms of the elbow, um, Probably fair enough that he got the one week. Yeah, actually, I would say not fair enough. I think he should have got more. I I don't know how he only got one. I'd argue that he should have got at least three weeks. Call me harsh, but that's not a football action. It's mm. straight to the head. If that was if that had broken Luke Ryan's jaw, what does he get? Six weeks? Seven weeks? Mm. Eight weeks? Well, given the propensity for the AFL to punish the uh, the outcome instead of the action, yeah, exactly. So. The fact he only got one, I think he can consider himself very, very lucky. He's a poster boy for the AFL. I mean, mm. not that that should make any difference, although we, we all know that it does. Um, but it's not a football action. The ball's not in play. The ball's gone out of bounds. And I think the key part of it all was he had the ball in his left hand and he shuffled it to his right and then threw the elbow back. So he, he had that second to make up his mind as to what he was doing. He threw it back. Um, and connected, and it could have been a whole lot worse. And people might say, well, three weeks for that. But you look at some of these late bumps and that, which are football actions, the bump, and they are in play, albeit a little bit late, and they're getting two, three weeks. I think what Franklin did was significantly worse than that. Rowan, you're in the three-week bandwagon? uh, I don't think he can give it three only on the basis of what's gone before. I mean... You said people were saying, well, what about Asprey, Danaher and Shuey for similar incidents? Well, they were graded uh, low impact. This was graded medium. This one had more menace about it, intent about it, I think. But just on, I mean, I agree philosophically with what Jake's saying. This is a big hobby horse of mine. The whole balance of intent versus consequences has got out of whack. Mm. And if if you're punishing the intent, which I think should be punished, more harshly than it is, then you could actually argue a three-week penalty. I mean, that's where it's the whole uh, judiciary penalty thing is out of whack, that there'll be a football action that gets someone two or even three weeks and a cheap shot that someone gets one week for. I don't think that's right, and I think that's something they really need to revisit. But he had to get at least a week, I reckon. Christian, you're a numbers man. Uh, Crunch the numbers for us. Does he make a 1,000 this year if Sydney play, say, two finals? I think it's yeah, it is. It's getting harder, and if Isaac Heaney keeps kicking five <laughs> next to him and keeps stealing some of his goals, it makes it even harder. But yeah, I, I I was probably a bit cynical to begin with that he would make it. He needed a, you know a really good run of games. Missing a week makes it yeah probably almost impossible. Almost like you know in my mind. Yeah, Jake, uh, the stars are aligning for your 
desire of having a round one showdown with the Hawks at the SCG next year. Oh, you know it's going to happen. <laughs> the Swans will play two finals this year. He'll get to about 996 and they'll play the Hawks in round one next year and it's it'll be huge. And I'm wondering at what number do we, does his teammates start looking for him even more than, than usual? Does he need to get to 995 when they're really starting to go to him? He's kicked 13 before in a game. Yes. Gee, these things are really getting built up, aren't they? I mean, it's never going to happen again, Rowan. The way the game's being played, oh, that, the that's true. It's don't, just... you, don't you want to run onto the run onto the field after it happens, Rowan? Oh, I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we my, haven't had the chance. I mean, I've in, been too young. No, but it's funny because I I just had a flashback then. I mean, we've had how many guys have kicked a thousand goals now? Coventry, uh, five, uh, four or five. Yeah, uh, Dunstall, well, Lockett. Well, Doug Wade has. I See, I had this flashback, and it's a long time ago, but when Doug Wade kicked his 1,000th goal, and I think it was in 1974 or five, it barely even got mentioned in the commentary. It was sort of like, and there's his 1,000th goal. No one ran onto the ground. It was just on with the game, you know. The old tip uh, of the hat. <laughs> yeah. Back to it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, look, I think we, we discussed this a couple of weeks ago, the fact that it's just such a rare event for a player to get to that now. Uh, and the way that footy's been played, you, you think those in the current crop aren't going to get there, even yeah. if they're 18, 19 and kicking goals at the moment. It just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So yeah. uh, very exciting times. We might have to wait until next year. Uh, look, Christian, we've tasked you this week with uh, with a big one, actually. Um, and you went back to Jake and you gave him a big spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet, and he's had a bit of a tough time trying to figure it out from all accounts. Uh, but we're trying to determine the competition's best kicks, uh, whether that's team or player. How we measure that uh, is, has been up to you, and I think it's probably up to you to uh, let the viewers, or sorry, the listeners know just how we're going to try and measure the best kicks in the competition right now. Yeah, so we're using the kick rating measure. So, again, a lot of the uh, most common uh, stat that people see in most of the stat tables probably on TV coverage is kicking efficiency. So just raw um, how many kicks you had and how effective they are. So again, we've spoken about it on the pod before kicking long down the line to a one-on-one contest uh, is an effective kick. Uh, kicking to a two-on-one against your team would be an ineffective kick and, you know, direct turnover would be a clanger, which also is ineffective. But kick rating sort of, it, it doesn't just look at how effective your kick was, but it looks at the situation that you kicked from and what you were kicking to. So how much pressure you were under when you were kicking it, um, where you were on the field, what foot you were using, and then taking into account what you're trying to hit further up the field. Is it a leading target? Is it a stationary target? Is it a pack of players? Uh, You know, is someone on a back lead or is it a shot at goal? Um, So yeah, looking at all of that and then giving you a sort of um, a hit rate and expected hit rate of those kicks. Um, and then using those two figures, just giving you a kick rating, which is basically um, a positive or negative percentage based on how well you're kicking the ball compared to the comp average from the same kick. So if you had four kicks while you're being tackled in the back pocket, uh, they might have a 20% hit rate. If you hit all, all uh, four of them and you get 100% each time, you'd be on like plus 360% because you'd have 80% you know, plus 80% on all four of those kicks. So it's, so it's kind of similar to base. relative ratings that we did a few weeks back. Correct. Yeah. It's taking into account, yeah, it, it, all the similar actions or all the similar kicks on the field and yeah, looking at your result from your kicks and um, yeah, working that with a comp average. So again, uh, I know Jake's going to do a big piece and look at uh, each team's best player, um, you know, best overall kick rating. We have their kick rating when they're going short, when they're going long, uh, as I just said, their shot at goal rating as we call it. So what, what, what pressure they're under, where they are when they're having their shots at goal, not just using the raw accuracy. 
But just sort of looking at that, I just sort of um, went back to team level and just thought, um, you know, on the podcast, we could cover some of the team level stuff that, you know, who's the best kicking, uh, kick rating in the comp across the teams. And this year it's been Sydney at plus 2.6%, um, number one kick rating. Um, so from all their kicks that all their players are hitting, they're hitting the target plus 2.6% more often uh, than other teams have across the last, I think it's 12 years worth of data now. So that's, a, um, that's an interesting one because haven't they, haven't Sydney's skills often been accused of being a bit sloppy by foot? Well, yeah, and they've always, I mean, we've probably spoken about it on it, uh, doing a pot on it. There's sort of these myth busters, but I think five or 10 years ago, the big myth buster about Sydney was they're, they're, they're just a dour, contested, sloggy team. You know, everything they do is just. Uh, strength and I love the word they weren't, they weren't it's like only that. ever used in footy I swear <laughs> but uh yeah kick rating again it, it it it's also it's not just how good how well you kick it but there's also a little bit of um how well you win the contest at the end of the kick because your kick rating can be affected by whether your teammate wins the ball um you know not all kicks are rated based on whether it's a contested, contested possession at the end but some if your teammate takes a contested mark compared to the opposition you might get a you know a slightly better rating so I think just the way Sydney are playing there, they've got uh, one of the um, sort of their sixth or seventh for their hardest type of kick. So they're, they're attempting hard kicks and they're actually pulling them off at like plus 2.6%. I think it's a sums up the way they're going. As, and I keep saying about Sydney all year, why they're a chance in finals, because they've got nothing to lose and they sort of play like that each week. They're not, they're not slowing the game down when it needs to be slow. Like they, they've kept up their attacking, uh, you know, they're back their game plan there, as I said, their turnover game style. And uh, as I said, their kick rating best in the comp. So it's one that they're, they're hitting targets, but they're also winning the contest at the end of those kicks. Uh, second best kick rating is Essendon and third best is West Coast. Um, looking at the, at the other end of the ladder, so the worst kick rating, Adelaide's actually got the worst kick rating, negative 1.2%. So it doesn't seem like a lot, but... It's only a small window. Yeah, it's not... The worst is not far from the best. Is that fair to say? Correct, yeah. So you're not... And again, you don't... It's like when you're watching footy, you, you know the howlers when you see them, the, 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 the kicks that just completely miss the target and that. And they, they do. They happen rarely. You know, they might happen three or four times per game. But again, when there's... you Yeah. 300 or, you know, 250 kicks per game or more, um, you see yeah, the numbers sort of do flatten out. So Gold Coast is, you know, 17th at negative 0.8%. So again, not far off the average. But the interesting one with them, they're seventh for kicking efficiency. So again, using the raw number of how well they kick the ball, you'd say they were the seventh best because they're hitting the target the seventh most often. But again, the Gold Coast game style, it's a lot like West Coast game style the last three or four years. They're trying to sort of play keepings off with the ball, try to hit those short targets uh, one of the shortest kicking teams going around. They like to go sideways. So again, that it takes you down into looking at who is actually attempting the easiest kicks across the competition. And it is Gold Coast. So their their expected hit rate of their kicks is 56%. So again, it's not high. They're only, out of all their kicks, they're only expected to hit the target 56% of the time. Um, but that's the highest com- uh, percentage in the competition. But they're actually you know, hitting the target 55.4%. So that's how they get their negative 0.8% kick rating. So again, um, it's probably, you know, a sign there that Gold Coast, again, with Stuart Jew and what they, they've got a game plan they're trying to implement. They're just not pulling it off as well as someone say like West Coast who are the third easiest types of kicks, 55.2% expected hit rate and plus 1.9%. As I mentioned earlier, they were the third mm-hmm. best kick rating. So you can see two teams with, I think, you know, almost identical game styles when they got ball in hand. One West Coast to sort of, you know, have been further up the top of the ladder. They're starting to, you know, 
drop away slightly uh, this season, but you know they've they've won a premiership with that game style and Gold Coast are that that up and coming team that are trying to recreate it, and you can probably see at the moment, that, you know, as I said, they're seventeenth for kick rating. Um, yeah, but you know, to put that game that game style together, um, and that you know that's that's probably what they're going to sort of hang their hat on going forward is that kicking game style. You know, early interesting team. Given um, the weather up, they sometimes get up in Queensland during winter and yeah, the, those the nights trying to. On. It's like, a, yeah, I say that sometimes. The footy's like a bar of soap. So it is. We, we mentioned it earlier when they went with it. Um, it's an interesting game style for some of the conditions they play with. But at the moment, they're, yeah, they're still number one in the comp for uncontested marks. So they, they do like their. their there you like, go. What, what about shots at goal? I mean, we talked about uh, more so general play, but like the eye test will tell you that there are some clubs that are not that great in front of goal and others that are better in front of goal. Do you have a formula for doing which clubs are best in front of goal? Yeah. So it's exactly the same thing. Just looking, taking into account all your shots, what pressure you're under, where you are. And again, if you kick a goal, that's hundred percent accuracy. If you're supposed to get it 50% of the time, you end up plus 50%. So it's probably, yeah, no surprise for people that West coast, are the number one for kick rating at shot at goal, their accuracy has been um, a standout across the year. So they're plus 6.8%. And again, I think shots at goal is the one where you get the greatest variance between them, uh, between teams. The next best team is plus 4.2%, which is Sydney again. So another one that's, you know, again. So the Eagles are actually quite a fair bit. Above. Yeah, and Adam Simpson spoke about it. It was, it was quite funny. I think he spoke about three or four weeks ago. and said, it's no fluke. We do do a lot of trading and they have worked on it. He said, it's not a fluke. As soon as he said that, I think for the two next two or three week period, they were fifteenth factor yeah. for a couple of weeks. So it, it just somehow happens. Like, well, you shouldn't have spoken about it because it was. It was just. It was so far. I, I reckon they were at about plus seven point five percent earlier in the season, and as I said, they're plus six point eight now. Still a long way ahead, but I think they were even better three or four weeks ago. And then you go. So right it saved them, hasn't it? Because. Mm. Again, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. so, so many areas of their game have been ordinary and they've been saved by that efficiency. I wonder, I wondered a few weeks ago, you know, if, if uh, a Brisbane or someone, someone who's been inaccurate was doing everything else the way the Eagles were, they'd probably be last on the ladder, you know. I mean, it, yeah, just... and there was there was a lot of stats where I think, yeah, again, six, seven weeks ago when they were in the top eight, they were. The clear team, you know, when you sorted these stats, they were, when comparing them to the other top eight teams, they were ranked 15th, 16th, 17th in these stats that the other teams were ranked top mm. seven or eight in. So it was, yeah, a lot of their defence and uh, I think, you know, some of their clearance work, it just wasn't stacking up with the rest of the teams. But again, we talked about it for three or four years. Well, hasn't, no, I think the, hasn't the last, the last month the or so has been the most inaccurate uh yeah, well, competition dropped away. Yeah, it's yeah, it's gotten down to about 45, 46% now. So, uh, yeah, still talk about shot at goal rating for teams. So, down the other end is, uh, yeah, West Coast neighbor. Fremantle's negative yes. 4.7% again. So, the eye test passes that one. Correct. Um, and Gold Coast negative 4.3%. So, again, similar to their kicking around the ground, just not up to the scratch. But again, taking it, um, looking at, expected hit rate for shots at goal we can see the teams that are getting the easiest and hardest shots at goal and again there's a there's a sort of a little bit of a variance um there but yeah brisbane are actually 49 percent expected hit rate so no team has a hit rate above 50 percent for their shots at goal uh this year so again when we talk about accuracy being low and that taking into account all the last 12 years and things like that all the where the kicks are coming from is pretty hard because we're not seeing guys have you know the majority of the shots from spots that it's 50% or more accuracy, if, if that makes sense. So yeah, 48% is, you know, the, 
the best shots at goal that the team a team's getting at Brisbane. They're negative 0.3%. So they're pretty much even for their shots at goal. And again, but this is the ones that Gold Coast come up in 48% expected hit rate, which is the second uh, highest. So second easiest shots at goal. But as I mentioned, 17th for kick rating. So just not taking their chances. Yeah, getting the yips. What about the other side? Uh, if you look at uh, play, uh, sorry, teams down the bottom of their expected hit percentage. Yeah, so free, as I said, uh, Fremantle will last for that one. Um, I think St Kilda, again, have improved in recent weeks because I reckon they were a fair way down uh, early in the season. So they're, it's, oh, sorry, 17th is Gold Coast, but yeah, negative 3% St Kilda. So I think they were, uh, you know, 18th or closer to Fremantle. Um, but have actually improved the last four or five weeks. North Melbourne, uh, fourth lowest, and Carlton, fifth lowest. So, again, teams, you know, Being lower forced, down. Forced the to the sidelines, uh, to the to the boundary lines and all that sort of stuff. Is that, is that what you're talking about when you're talking about percentage? Like, yeah, if well, you take it, a mark... It yeah, less set shots, less, you know, getting exactly that. Yeah, a lot more. Um, it can, yeah, it can be either from the pocket or from further out, not getting as many shots from 50, you know. one of the, I think one of the Geelong's underrated strengths as well is the amount of goals they get from within... 15, 20 metres, the way they can um, work the ball into either space for Gary Rowan to run back into or Tom Hawkins to do all of his work one-on-one, 20 out. Um, you know, that that helps you sort of keep your expected hit rate and accuracy up. But as I said, yeah, those teams that we just went over with the lowest shot at goal ratings, um, yeah, are all sort of probably not getting the cleanest look at goals. Um, what about um, individual players? You got any standouts uh, before we move on? Yeah, again, there's so many ways. And again, that's why I sort of sent the spreadsheet to Jake and said there's, you know, there's so many qualifiers you can use. Do you use just, you know, if we look at every kick, every player that's kicked this year, Ben Cavara would come up number one plus 56% because <laughs> he's had the one kick, 100% hit rate, and he was, expect, you know, with a 44% expected hit rate. So, again, got to use some uh, minimum. So I usually use 50 games um, as a good minimum. Um, 50 games or 50 kicks? Sorry, 50 kicks uh, yeah. as a minimum. Um, or you can go, you know, top 300. But at this stage of the season, 50 seems to be a good cutoff. And that would be Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, which is he's plus 14% uh, this year, which includes plus 16% in front of goal and plus 12.5% field kick. So he's good either way. He's been very, very accurate. Plus he's, you know, set up kicks and kicks inside 50 are really high. Until but... last Sunday. He only had two kicks, didn't he? <laughs> uh, and he, no, he missed, he missed for him an absolute sitter. But you're right, though. Yeah, he's incredibly dependable. Yeah, and, he, and I've looked at previous years. He's been uh, in the top five or six, uh, I think, two or three years ago as well for kick rating. So probably, you know, doesn't get enough credit for how well he does hit the targets. But there's a few guys that didn't quite make the 50, uh, 50 kick minimum that I just thought stood out to me. Riley Garcia is getting a few games in the last three or four weeks for the Bulldogs. Uh, he's only had the 35 kicks, but plus 19% or plus 18.5% at the moment kick rating. Um, Rory Atkins at Gold Coast again just mentioned all the Gold, Gold Coast woes with their kick rating probably the one guy that they went out and spent a bit of money on with their free agency was to bring in Rory Atkins who was a bit of an outside ball user at Adelaide and was you know a good setup player so he's only had the 39 kicks um, missed a bit of the season with injury but plus 17.3% Martin F- Frederick from Port Adelaide another one I've watched him I, he's kicked a few he kicked I think two or three goals like where he's just full sprinting on the run and um, and hit a few targets from halfback doing the same thing. And I always thought, yeah, he's, he looked like a good kick by the eye and he's plus 17.1%. Uh, and Lockie Jones from Port Adelaide, uh, 43 kicks this year. Again, he, as a, you know, as a junior, that was one of the big parts of his game. He had a strong body. He was, you know, an 18 year old that was already built like a 25 year old, but he was always had a good kick on him. And yeah, from his 45 kicks, he's plus 12.8%, which 
again, had he had the 50 kick uh, minimum, that would have put him second to McDonald's and Moody. So just a few names that sort of, yeah, can, can pop up as, you know, who's, who's actually hitting the target. There's something and, wrong with that Lockie Jones one. The way he looks, he should be a scrubby kick. I think if he's going to be that good a kick, he needs to get a nice yeah, short back and sides haircut. His haircut doesn't match his kicking, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Rowan, any players that pass the eye test that might be on that list uh, you can throw at Christian? Well, it's, it's always interesting to me. Um, last year, I, I tweeted in the middle of a game that Dustin Martin was the best kick in the AFL, and I got absolute, not for the first time, I got absolutely hammered. <laughs> and um, everyone throwing up stats and stuff to shoot me down. But... I would still maintain that. It depends how you judge it. So there's the efficiency and the the numbers, which are all valid. But I would still say someone like Dusty because of the damage his kicking does. And because he goes for harder kicks, he probably misses a bigger percentage of them too. Although, Christian, you were saying that he's sort of cleaned that up a bit in recent yeah, so Yeah, he's probably, yeah, he's at plus 5.6% this year. So he's sort of above the comp average. He's 54th in the comp but again looking at his expected hit rate it's 38 percent. so if you look at the other guys in the top 50 i think it's almost the lowest of anyone so that's he is going for the hardest kicks in the hardest part of the ground of anyone um and a few years ago he was probably missing them more often than he's hitting him but as i said this year it's at plus 5.6 percent. so not the best but yeah definitely uh yeah a really really good kick the other one is a, a name that commonly gets thrown up, Lockie Whitfield. I mean, I, I, I did really notice that on Sunday <clears throat> as he tore my team to shreds. You know, he, <laughs> he's, he is a lovely kick of the footy and doesn't ever seem to miss much. But I think, again, Christian, the numbers don't necessarily suggest yeah, that. So, yeah, again, we could have probably delved into it a bit more. But, yeah, plus 2.9%. Um, so, again, right, yeah, sort of just above average. Um just outside the top 150 or so, if you're looking at those raw uh, 50 kicks, but plus 5.7% when he goes short, negative 4.9% when he goes long. So again, a really nice sort of hit up short player. Yeah. Um, and as I said, the, the long kicks are the ones where it's a little bit, a little bit dependent on, you know, your teammate sort of providing a contest down the end of the line. Uh, but again, he's negative 4.9%. So that's probably where he's, he's missing out. He's long hey, I'll tell you just quickly, one guy that will be on that list, I reckon soon enough, Sam Durham. He's a he's a really nice kick of the footy. Yeah, well, yeah, he's been um, and it goes back to Willem Drew. I find them the plug and play oh, players. Willem yeah. um, Drew is just strike two right to the centre bounce. He's got he's got that clean role. If you know, he's your first possession player, handball it out. And Sam Durham, I made the same comment. He's just the way they sort of used him um, on the wing, and it's just like, well, that's that's his role. I know you know mid season draft he straight straight in. So like, well, he could do that for the next ten years. What he's done in his first two or three games because he's just, he's got all the tools he needs for that one position. Jake, one of your favourites, Caleb Daniel. Uh, Christian, does he feature somewhere? I hadn't looked at Caleb Daniel. You thrown that one. No, apologies. Oh, his name. I always thought Caleb Daniel and probably Dane Zorko were the two best sort of field <laughs> short kicking guys going around. Uh, so they're right next to each other at plus 3.8%. So they're basically even with each other for raw kick rating. Uh, and yeah, plus 5.7% Daniel when he goes short and plus 0.4% when he goes long. So yeah, much better when he goes short. Um, and a name that, yeah, you, you threw up before, Jake, was Finlay McRae, who's actually got one of the best kick ratings when he goes long at the moment um, and one of the worst when he goes short. But I think he's only had about the 25, 30 kicks. So it's still early in his career, but just a quirky one to watch out for. He's probably, yeah, 
Safe. Oh, wait, he's better when he goes long, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Just needs to hoist it out of just there. Just throw it on the boot. Yeah, yeah that was that one <laughs> kick he got. That just was kick it. <laughs> hey, you have one, one, surely one underestimated um, field kick because we don't think of him in that way as Buddy Franklin. He's a beautiful kicker. He is a great field kick, isn't yeah. he? And he is. He's, he's fifth best in the comp at the moment. Um, yeah, for, and that's just his field kicking. So, again, yeah, just behind McDonald, Tip and Woody of anyone that's had uh, at least 50 field kicks. Um, and, yeah, Sam Switzkowski is another one from Frio who's high up there for his field kicking. And, again, that was that was his streak at the start of the year. He was one of the score involvement players and score assist players. Um, because yeah, he just finds the right targets. But Franklin, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. He's I think he's top five for overall kick rating, as I just mentioned, fourth for field kick, and it's been high up across his career. Good stuff, uh, MythBusters. I like that for another week, Christian. We'll uh, we'll take we'll take you on board. We'll take your advice on board for that one. I think uh, we'll, we'll delve into that in greater detail. Jake, if you're starting a team from scratch, let's just call them Tasmania, for instance, uh, and you have to pick two big men, um, and it was kind of like the NHL expansion draft where you can kind of pick and choose from the other clubs in the league um, and throwing away all sort of you know protected players and all that, that the NHL do. If you were ta- starting a team from scratch, would you take which pair of brothers, Harry and Ben Mackay or Max and Ben King? I think I'd take the King boys. Um, not... It's not a clear-cut answer, but I think I'd take them for a couple of reasons. Um, I think they've got both got more scope to improve. I think they're both... I know I know Max has had his troubles, but I think they're both better kicks for goal than obviously Harry plays as a forward. Harry has a few problems in front of goal. Um, he's leading the Coleman medal, Jake. He, he's, he is leading the Coleman medal, but he should be leading it by a lot, by a lot more. And the other thing <laughs> is, look... How much, how much, how much competition has he had down there in in terms of kicking goals for Carlton? And how I don't know the numbers, but I'm sure that he he would be top two in the comp for balls going in his direction inside fifty. So I I think you you add in the fact that these guys are the King boys are younger. I think there's more scope for them to improve. If you can have those two leading your forward line for the next twelve years, I think it's a pretty good way to start. Is Ben Mc... Where's Ben Mackay? Do we? How high do we rate Ben Mackay? He's actually getting consistent game time now, which I think has helped incredibly, like a lot, because he was obviously injured early. He was just starved of opportunities, and now that he's actually, and and you can kind of see with the entire North squad is the fact that they're now playing games with each other, and there are lots of like obviously there's some experience sprinkled in there as well, and you know Zebel in that back line and, and Cunningham back in the middle and all that sort of stuff. But they're now they've played sort of. 10, 20 games together, they're starting to gel. And I think that Ben is on track to become one of the better key backs in the league. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's pretty clear. I think you can look at Harry and how he's probably had more opportunity uh, earlier in his career, but you look at Carlton at the time and they, they were crying mm. out for someone down there. Um, but now that Ben is getting that, that chance to impress and, and take the best forward each week, he's just improving just about every week. Yeah, I'm certainly not saying it's an easy decision, but I, I think I'd probably go the King boys. I, I think in four years' time, they're, they're going to be a better duo than the Mackay boys. Rowan, do you go the double forward option or do you go and split them and have uh, Harry and Ben one at the other end? Well, can I throw in the third brother, Sam? <laughs> the mystery Sam, where does he play? Centre-half <laughs> bench. No, look, I, I think uh, I'm just trying to come up with another way of saying exactly what Jake said because yep. I was just nodding with everything he said. It's just the 
you know, and that's no disrespect to Harry and Ben. Oh, I agree with you about Ben. I think he's he's clearly a really good prospect. And gee, you, you're tough on Harry, Jake. He's um, he's done pretty well. But uh, you're you you're tough on Darcy Parish. I'm t- tough on Harry. Are we no, you're tough, tough on, on our Darcy own? Parish. <laughs> um, I just think there's more upside with Max and Ben King, and you've really mm. seen that this year. Mm. And plus, uh, the other thing here is, and it's not Ben's fault they play him in defence, but no one in the comp can kick a bloody goal anymore. So when you see Max and Ben King actually kick some goals, you think yeah, they're they're like hen's teeth. Um, that was a that was a really ominous game from Max King on the it, weekend. It, it really him. reminded me of there was a game that game that Aaron Norton had a couple of years ago where he took about nine or ten contested marks and it was really like okay this guy's going to be a super player and, and now look at what Aaron Norton does on a weekly basis we all knew that King was going to be this great player but he'd sort of had a you know he'd had his struggles in front of goals he's had his consistency problems but I think with both Max and Ben playing in in solid teams if that happens I think they're going to be two of the best uh, forwards in the competition. I think they can consistently be top five in the Coleman medal throughout their careers. Both and they were, weren't they? They were both taken in what the top five or six in a draft, weren't they? Three and four, two and three. Yeah. I don't know where Ben and Harry were, but um, where was mm. Sam? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not... Sam undrafted. <laughs> Sorry, this is my stupid episode. This is where I go on about that Willem, Willem Drew. Um, uh, fair enough, Christian. Any well, thoughts? Well, well, where are you? Yeah, where are you guys going? I, I agree. I think the King boys. Just for, for my I think they're the better players. I just yeah, I I could sit in there and make a case for taking a key defender and a key forward if you're trying to build a team as Matt sold it. But yeah, if you're asking who the better players are, it's Max and um, Max and Ben. But yeah, Ben Ben McKay. I just look at him as yeah, just from what Jake mentioned, how good is he? He might not be Alex Rance, but you can see already for you know how old is he? Twenty twenty one. He's going to be a 10, 12 year key defender for you and I just sort of did a quick comparison to him and Daniel Talia and Rance and his numbers are right there with him that, that it's hard to you know you don't look at him and again I've spoken about it before full forwards are all the glory boys they get all the all the glory so Ben McKay might not be making highlight reels at, at, at all but if you're building a team around um, you know and you want a key defender I think Ben McKay would be a safe pick at this at this stage. Similar to Harry quicker quick around the ground pretty decent below his knees for the size that he is and his disposals Probably better than Harry's, um, to put it plainly. So uh, I think, yeah, whichever brother uh, pairing you decide to go with, if you are starting a team from scratch, you're going to end up uh, on top. Any other good brother pairings in the league at the moment? Yeah, there's a few. The well, Kernos, the, the Daycosses might come into contention next years. year. <laughs> the Kernos. Uh, the Daycosses could be one to look at in, the, in a couple of years' time. Yeah. Um, the Fredericks. Are they brothers or are they cousins? Good question. I, I, think, they're they're brothers. Brothers. I think they're brothers. Um, there's a few around there so uh, maybe we could expand it next week justified hype or hyperbole time guys Uh, the part of the podcast where I'll say a statement to you guys and you tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm talking in hyperbole Jake David Teague won't coach Carlton next year settle down Um, no No. he will he will be there but I think that could be his last year Um, why why would you persevere for another year then why would you why would you if you don't because think he's for the coach in 2023. Time, Carlton is where they I expected them to be. Everyone else had these high hopes of Carlton being top four. They were never that good. Who heard you said top four? Uh, a couple of people I work with, yourself and a one I never Jared Barker. <laughs> top four? 
Excuse you were saying me. top eight, Barker was saying top four. Uh, please don't put me in the same category as Barker. About 10th to 13th. And even that's looking like a stretch at the moment. All right. So Teague's on, on board for next year. Teague will stay on board next year because I think if you look at the season, I mean, it's not a not can great you, can, losing, to, losing to the bottom team. But if Cullen can win one or two in the last couple of games, um, they're going to finish in that sort of 10th to 13th bracket, which I think is, is probably fair when you look at the ladder and you think everyone above us is probably... Sounds simple, but everyone above us is probably better, and everyone below us is probably worse. And and if you if you've managed to do that, I don't think you can really blame the coach. Yet again, we're reliant. We're so reliant on four players, four players. Carlton's reliant on, and and the rest are just getting games every week and not performing. You know, one week Matt Kennedy plays really well, and then the next week he's he's average, and then um and then uh take your pick, Will Setterfield, Matt Owies. Not, uh, Jack Nunes. Yeah, I was, I was trying to think of... Um... Oh, I think we get the picture anyway. <laughs> My mind's blank. But um, yeah, it's, and that's, the, tr- and that's the, the trouble. So I think he stays on, um, okay. but next year is going to be a, a pretty interesting year. And if Carlton have a similar year, then of course the coach will get blamed and, and he, won't, he won't be around. But, you know, look back to Brendan Bolton and uh, it's been a pretty lean period for the Blue Baggers. Yeah, that's uh, that's a fair statement. Twenty-five years, <laughs> Rowan. This um, year's crop of Mark of the Year nominations is the best ever. I think it has to be. I was I was having a quick think about other years when the best I can remember in other years, you know, of, of marks that good is maybe two. You know, like two thousand eleven, Andrew Walker should have won it, got beaten uh, by yeah. Andrew Cracker. They were both great marks. Um, I think uh, Jeremy Howe had multiple in one season as well. At one point, I'm pretty sure beaten by Joe Danaher, which was that was a shocking decision. Um, but we've got you're right. There's usually like two good ones. Yeah, there's two. There's usually two. We got five. I was going to say, and 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 the wrong one can't win it. The other four will just be unlucky. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. Who should win it? And it's like, well, I can I can see how they could all win it. So do we agree? There's five. It's it's Bolton, Bolton, Rewalt. O'Brien, um, Waitman, and um, uh, what's the other Heaney. one? Heaney. yeah. So we had two two in one weekend. We, we had um, four good ones this weekend, I'm pretty sure. There was another one. Um, oh, De Koning. De Koning took a good one. Uh, just as an aside on this, is Max Gorn the best stepladder in the game? Well, he's, he was, he's uh, replacing another famous Melbourne stepladder in Gary Lyon. <laughs> we had uh, Jeff Farmer and Sean Smith both took Mark of the Year over him. Well, just quickly, both. one word: which one's the best? Who's got it? If uh, if the season finished right now, which one would you give it to? Isn't, yeah. this, a, he... isn't this a roundtable question? It is. Well, yeah. it is. But Tune well, in, okay. ASPN.com.au forward slash. Okay, can I can I go first because I've just written my answer? Yeah, I I absolutely love Bolton's Mark. Yeah, but I I do. It's aesthetically. I think You're going to go rewild, aren't you? I am, but I've, there's a big but here. I, there's been a couple of years when I've, I've hated the amount of hype about Marks running the same way with the ball. I know they're gutsy and whatever. They're not necessarily spectacular. Mm. What was amazing about Rewalts is it had the courage factor, but it also had the big leap factor. Mm. You know? They got the so, ride as well. And I think if you throw in degree of difficulty, you have to give it to Rewald ahead of Bolton. But I'd be, you know, I'd love any of them to win it, really. 
That was more than one word. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Who, who's who's your choice, Jake? Heaney. Really? Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll elaborate uh, just a touch. <laughs> but how many marks do you see like that that are intercept marks in the forward fifty? Yeah, that's fair. You look how far away he is from uh, Luke Ryan. I think it was when the ball's kicked. And for him to not only make up that ground, jump, hang, take the mark inside forward fifty as an intercept and kick the goal, mm. that was something special. We don't see. I, I like again to your point. I, I don't like goal of the year just being the classic get it on the boundary and snap it from the pocket. Yeah, it's great, but we see that twenty five times a year now. I, I like something a bit different, and I haven't. I can't remember. A, and I might be wrong. I'm sure there are they're out there, but I can't remember a mark like Heaney's that's been an intercept mark hanger. Yeah, good point. Christian, any thoughts? Oh, Jeremy Howe takes a few intercept mark hangers. So yeah, he's that's fair. been out of the game for not what? in the forward 50. <laughs> yeah, not in the forward 50. Uh, I've got Jack, and exactly for what Rowan said, it's got it's got the courage, and then he also gets the ride. So he's got he he just ticks two boxes for me. Fair enough. Um, I think I agree. Ride, come on! It wasn't that much of a ride. He got he got the second elevation. Oh, I think yeah. Waitman. You can't understate Waitman. Waitman's at what 175 centimeters jumping on a bloke who's 205. Poor old Max Gorn. Because last you could put year... the you could put the photos on the wall of Max Gorn underneath some of these. <laughs> Liam Ryan got him in the goal square. Georgiati sat on him. Waitman now. I love Sam Walsh, but I mean we've seen five or six already this year that were clearly better than Walsh's last year. Yeah. I can't even remember that. What was oh, exactly. it? Exactly. Exactly. There you go. It was an. It was. Was that an intercept mark? Uh, I'm not sure. I think it was. Yeah, he might have. It was just going back with the uh, with the flight and in front of Charlie Dixon. And we it. we were due, weren't we? I yeah. Mean, really. Yeah. You talk about the greatest marks of all time. You still... Dixon took one with just one the one hand, which was like a looked like an NFL receiver catch, which I thought was technically the hardest to do. Yeah. Um, there's not many players in the league that could just pluck one with one hand. He does. He's done it a couple of times, actually, Dixon. Uh, we're running out of time. We've got two more. Uh, Rowan, the grand finals are two-horse race. <sighs> not including <That's>... Richmond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Just as an addendum here, I have officially renounced Richmond as a flag chance now. Um, good. I think that's hyperbole. I, I know where you're coming from, but I, it's too early to be saying that. And if there were to be two, Jake, you would say that they are Geelong and the Dogs. Yeah, I think if I was answering that, I'd say I know it. I know obviously it's early. There's still twelve teams that could technically win it or whatever. But I think it's really down to two. If I had to put my money where my mouth is, there's two teams that'll win it. It's it'll be Geelong or the Western Bulldogs, and we can we can replay this back in two months' time. Um, what can, about what can, about Jake Melbourne at the level they're playing at earlier in the year? I've had question marks on Melbourne for the whole year. I love their midfield. We know what their defence has done, but it's the question marks about the forward line. That's so the thing where... here is, sorry, but you're talking about a side that, um, I mean, I, I don't think they'll win it, but you're talking about a side that comfortably dealt with both Geelong and the Bulldogs. They did, but that's that's in the home and away season. Now you're going into the finals where, and as to your point that you've said a couple of times, is experience is going to matter. Yeah, yeah. Long's far more experienced than Melbourne and the Bulldogs are more experienced than Melbourne. Yeah. No, I was just playing devil's advocate. Yeah. No, I, I think Melbourne, if if we're adding a third in there, it's obviously it's going to be Melbourne. But I just think Geelong and the Bulldogs are a step above Melbourne. 
who are in turn a step above probably everybody else. I think aside from those three, the next team that probably is a chance is Sydney. And then that kind of shows how, how far back they are. You know, Port's the, the other team in there, but they've consistently lost to everybody above them. So I really do think it's out of, out of uh, Geelong and, and the Bulldogs. And I'll be, I'll be very confident in saying that. Christian, uh, last one before we do wrap things up. I might throw this to you as someone who has to deal with uh, fixturing a little bit in their job a bit more than we do. But the floating fixture should remain next year. Uh, how floating is the floating fixture? Every yes. four weeks a month out. Browning. <laughs> and that was the original plan. So that sits well with me. Um, yeah, the Tuesday the Tuesday of the week before doesn't work for me, but all champion data. But um, yeah, the four week one, yeah, it was all for it. And we that's what we were supposed to have at the start of the season. So we got to give it another chance next year. Hopefully they roll with it again. Fair enough. Uh, anyone else? Everyone else? We're looking forward to Carlton and St Kilda on Friday night. Oh, it's a blockbuster. Uh, good thing the Olympics you know, are on. J- just quickly, I know we talk about commentary a bit, but and I, I hate I hate whacking people, but Eddie Maguire, he, he, three times he called the the Carlton um, North Melbourne North Melbourne game a classic or something like that. Three oh, what times. About, no, I tell you the other thing he did. He said um, this could be the the boil over of the season. <laughs> We've had three of those. Two crap teams. <laughs> we had we had Adelaide beat Melbourne. We had uh, who else? Hawthorne beat um, someone, and apparently uh, that was the boil over of the season. GWS. Oh, no, Ad- Adelaide not. beating Melbourne has to be. Yeah. The no, it's North beating West Coast. North beating West Coast. That was the other one. Uh, um, yeah, we've had a few boil overs of the season. Oh no, anyway. ask Sam Walsh. <laughs> no, I mean, ask Sam McKay <laughs> and Willem Drew. Willem who? who? <laughs> wrap things up uh thanks everybody for uh, tuning in for another week we'll be back uh next tuesday with more footy stuff uh and probably a bit more uh well junk time stuff like we've been doing i've quite enjoyed it guys so thanks for joining me as always and uh to everyone at home we'll speak to you in the next one listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the espn footy pod wherever you get your podcasts